Welcome to another public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, Professor Ismet Gersel from the Department of Mechanical Engineering talks about his research into how bees and other insects fly and how this has been used to build micro-air vehicles. Good evening and welcome to the latest inaugural lecture at the University of Bath. I'm Glynis Breakwell, I'm the Vice-Chancellor of the University and it's a great pleasure to welcome you here this evening. These lectures are a celebration of the diversity of work carried out across the many disciplines of this university. Um, one of the most productive and successful departments here at the university is the Department of Mechanical Engineering. It is regularly ranked in the top two or three in the United Kingdom universities. One of the reasons for its success is undoubtedly its aerospace engineering group, which carries out research that has great importance for future air vehicles. One of the targets of the group's inquiry is unmanned air vehicles, an area that could bring enormous benefits in the future in so many different domains. Professor Gersel's work on vortex flows covers applications to various current aircraft, future unmanned air vehicles, and micro air vehicles. Engineers would like to make air vehicles that are smaller and fly more slowly. But as Professor Gersel will explain, this is not as easy as it sounds. In fact, it doesn't sound at all easy to me. In conducting his research, Professor Gersel has found himself validating the way that nature has tackled the problem in many insects and birds. Professor Gersel's recent review article on vortex flows has appeared in the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics Journal, and he was awarded a plaque and citation for it. This comes after a successful career that includes a Fulbright scholarship to study engineering in the United States where he took his PhD, fellowship of the Royal Aeronautical Society and the associate editorship of the Aeronautical Journal and of course his promotion to a personal chair here at the University of Bath in 2004. I'm delighted now to let you hear Professor Gersel explain the, the really groundbreaking and air-breaking research that he is engaged in. Thank you all very much. Well, thanks for coming here. Well, when I agreed to give this lecture, I realized that this is going to be a very challenging job. For example, today in the audience, there are very technical people. Uh, one of them is Professor Zhang from University of Southampton, who is a professor of aerodynamics. On the other hand, my daughter is also here, who like not a boring presentation. So, so this is a very challenging job, and I hope everybody will take something home from the presentation. So I'll try to satisfy everybody. So with that, I'll start with the first very very simple definition of the vortex, but then I'll give very interesting examples of the vortex flows from the nature and from technology. Yeah, essentially, I'll talk about three types of vortex flows moving into the aircraft and aviation. The first 
group will be what we call the linked vortices. These are the unwanted and undesired type of vortex flows. We have several problems because of these vortices, and I'll describe what kind of research that we do to alleviate these problems. Now, I'll move to the a little bit better guys. So these are the leading edge vortices. They are close relatives of the linked vortices, and they might be beneficial if they are treated properly. And then I'll talk about insects and bird vortices. In this case, they are essential for the flight of these animals. So if there are no vortices, then birds and insects cannot fly. So in a way, in my presentation, I'm going to move from the bad guys to the good guys. So I have to admit that the most fun part will come at the end, so please be patient. What's a vortex? Well, you expect to see something in a bird or aircraft first, but my first example, the most well-known example, I believe, to you will be in a hurricane. A hurricane is the best example of a vortex flow. Here is a close-up of it. For example, Hurricane Katrina made extensive damage on the New Orleans coast a couple of years ago. But this, the common thing about this vortex flows is a swirling flow and a low pressure in the core. Actually, in this close-up picture, you can see this core region where actually the swirling motion is a little bit less. There is less velocity, but very, very low pressure. So these two properties, swirling flow and the low pressure in the core, probably the simplest definitions of the vortex flows that we see in the nature. And there are a bunch of other examples. I'm looking at the tornadoes. Fortunately, they are not very common in this country, but there are plenty in Midwest, United States, where we used to live close by. And you can see that they are very different in certain aspects. For example, if you look at this, somewhere here, the core becomes very different. I'll talk about a phenomenon later on similar to this. Vortex flows are not only in our atmosphere. There is an evidence, this is a picture from the Jupiter's atmosphere, that there are vortices in the other planets' atmosphere. Actually, I can go a little bit further. This is a picture from the space, the spiral galaxy. So again, there is a vortex flow in the space. So we can talk about the vortex flow flows from the insects to the aircraft to the outer space. But I'm going to come back to the Earth, and I'm going to talk about more aerodynamic vortices. And the most important one, this is the, the category number one. These are the bad guys, the tip vortices. So there are so much problem for us. And first, I'll describe how do they form. Why do they form? Well, if you look at the, a little bit away from the wing tip, so if you look at the cross-section somewhere away from the tip, this is a typical cross-section where we see a fast flow over the cross-section and a little bit lower velocities here. So this fast flow really generates a negative pressure or a little bit less than the atmospheric pressure. And here we have a positive pressure. So that pressure difference actually generates the lift. And that's how we can fly. So this is the picture when you're away from this wing tip. So when you get to the tip, things change. So I want to show you a picture here. So this is the three diagrams. So if I'm looking at the front view. So I'm seeing the negative pressure all over the upper surface and positive pressure all over the lower surface. So that pressure difference is generating the lift. But when I get to the tips, either tip, then the pressure difference is going to generate this leakage. So that leakage, which shown with the arrows here, is the real source of the, the tip vortices. So the second diagram is a, a perspective view of this. And the third, again, going back to the front view, showing that uh, 
streamlines, well, the flow patterns that are showing like a vortex flow there. Well, there are two consequences of these two vortices. As I said, these are the bad guys. One of them is drag, the other one is the vortex wake problem. Well, these are the two pictures. One is side view, the other one is the rear view, but looking at the, the flow field behind the aircraft. But you see this, these two vortices from the both tips generate a flow field, generate a velocity in the downward direction, which we call downwash. This downwash really causes a decrease in the effective angle of attack as the aircraft flying, so it also produces a drag. Of course, this drag is in addition to the, any skin friction drag that we have because of the, the, the fluid's viscosity. So that means this initial additional drag is really going to cost us a lot more money. That means we're going to burn more fuel, pay more money, and also the emissions, which are usually environmental unfriendly, will be a huge problem. So our, one of the main objectives is to try to decrease this drag. So now I'm going to discuss what we can do about them. So there are several strategies from more realistic to the more adventurous and more radical. Again, looking at the, that rear view, we can see these two vortices generating downwash. If you can really separate the distance between the two vortices, this downwash will be smaller. You can see that there is a minimum there. So one strategy is to increase the distance between the two vortices. That means making a very large wingspan. Well, that is going to be a very large aircraft. But of course, there are limitations of how large that you can make the span, because as you make it larger and larger, you will have the structural problems. So the second strategy here that actually came out probably in 1970s, perhaps the most important idea was, if this is the leakage problem, perhaps we'll try to decrease the leakage. So we'll put a, what we call end plate here. Well, that idea, evolved over the years, and in today's modern aircraft, we see an element we call winglets at the tips. So that is pretty much the common idea here. But later on, although these things are useful to decrease the drags, we found that it doesn't really work the way that we want it to work. The winglets really does not decrease the leakage. There's still leakage, but we find these vortices, which you can see the trace here, they are slightly displaced outwards. So that means that you are actually doing what you want to do in the strategy number one, trying to keep them apart. But there's also another element here, redistributing the vorticity. I'm using this term for the first time here. I'm not going to use it very often tonight. But this is the quantity that shows the intensity of the swirling motion. Right? I'll have more ideas, when, more suggestions to decrease the 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 drag here, this is called formation flight. Well, again, looking at the rear view and looking at the downwash, if the downwash is bad, perhaps we can try to use the upwash. So the idea here, we'll try to fly in the upwash of a leading aircraft. So this is the picture that you are seeing, the two aircraft flying in a close formation. And so one of them, the one in coming behind, is really flying in the upwash of the, the first one. Well, I'm not so sure you would like to be happy to see another airplane when you're flying, okay? <laughs> so in that sense, perhaps this is not a very, very good idea for civil aircraft carrying passengers. But it is perfectly okay to think about aircraft carrying cargo. Then there are no passengers who will be worried in the airplane. So this is a, a, at least a possibility. And it looks like it has been used in the nature. So if you look at the birds, 
We see that they fly what we call a V formation. But if each bird here is flying in the upwash of the, the one in front of them, so at the end they end up with this kind of V formation. So it looks like in nature they already discovered this, this possibility. More radical solutions. I'm not so sure you're gonna like this idea either because this is a ground effect. It just happens that actually Professor Zhang is an expert in this field. But if you fly very close to the ground, then one explanation that this vortices will be blocked and you're gonna decrease the downwash and this is good to decrease the drag. So you might think that oh, it will be kind of a terrible experience to fly very close to the ground, but what if you fly very close to the ocean surface? Okay? So these are the two conceptual pictures that shows that the aircraft using the ground effect, they're flying very close to the, to the, the water level here, water surface. Actually, this is not only a dream. In, I think in the 1950s or a little bit earlier, Russians built this kind of aircraft, and they really flown too. But several of them crashed. They had stability problems. Uh, well, another problem that you can see that if the water level is calm, perhaps this might be OK. But over the Atlantic Ocean, there will be huge waves. So you'll try to maintain a close distance that will not be very easy job. At least for engineering applications, this is not, again, a very possible solution. This is a, a radical solution. Nevertheless, it's not radical for birds. So birds are still using this fact, flying very close to the surface and decreasing the drag. So in a way, the nature has several, they, they discovered the solutions much before us. All right, so I'm gonna shift the topic here from decreasing the drag to the vortex wake hazard. Well, here, the question is what happens if you fly into the vortices? Here's the two pictures. Well, I don't wanna describe the experience that what will happen. Well, in one of my flights, I experienced what will happen. It was a small airplane flying to Paris. So if you go through this vortex here, of another aircraft in front of you, you're gonna end up with a rolling moment and there will be some control problems, a little bit buffeting, so it will not be a pleasant experience. But imagine that if the following aircraft, the one in front of you is a very, very large aircraft, then you're gonna be more in trouble because we have an aerodynamic law that says that as a first approximation, the strength of this vortex is proportional to the aircraft wing, aircraft weight. So the larger the aircraft in front of you, then you'll have more problems with this, the wake hazard. What, what, what can you do? Well, what can you do is, first of all, maybe perhaps you can wait. So you can make a, a separation distance. So you wait, you give a, a safe distance between the two aircraft. And this is what we do in aviation, what we call separation distances. These all depend on the type of the aircraft. For example, if the following aircraft is light and the leading aircraft is a heavy one, we have a mandatory six nautical mile for approach. Okay, so for takeoff, for cruise, there are different distances, but so this gives an idea that you have to wait for this distance. Well, as this distance increases, then of course you'll have less frequent flights. And also, this separation distance depends on the, again, classification of the aircraft. Well, here is the largest aircraft which will take to the skies very soon. Right now it's doing the flight testing. The largest civil aircraft, A380. So this is, this is very, very large. The tests show that this, this safe distance now has to be increased to 10 nautical miles. So this means that now we have to wait in the, air, in the airport, sometimes in the airplane, to, to make sure that there will be a safe distance between the following aircraft and the leading aircraft. So this means that there's less frequent flights from the 
the airports, and this is a problem in, in Europe because the skies are very congested. And we're, we're doing a European project, I'll talk about this a little bit later on, and so this is a problem more, more important for Europe. All right, so here is one of the examples of the research that we are doing. Since this big hazard is a big problem, so one of the possibilities to alleviate this problem is, is to make this vortex very diffuse, very weak. So that really means that if you make the velocities slower and vortex very diffuse, then that the vortex encounter problem will not be as bad. So the strategy that we used here, injecting the turbulence into the vortex core, and one of my former students who defended his PhD in December successfully, Panotis Margaris, he looked at the various methods to, to, to look at the wind blowing from the, from the tip to alleviate this problem. So here are some of the examples of different directions, different geometries using the continuous jets, pulse jets, and synthetic jets, which I'm not going to describe in detail, but here is an example. Well, in this picture, one in the top is showing the reference case with no blowing. Here is the wing tip. The second picture here at the bottom, it looks like a movie. The each frame depends on the amount of blowing that we are using. The quantity that we're showing is the, the vorticity, which is, again, intensity of the swirling motion. So you can see that starting with zero, as I blow more, the vortex becomes very diffuse compared to this one. So this is what you can do by applying the wing tip blowing to obtain a diffuse vortex. I hope you were able to see this picture better than me because I'm colorblind. So. <laughs> well, the second project that we are doing, and here Dave Morris and Panotis also working together, this is actually the European project. Again, for the European community, for the European airport, this is a very big problem. We're looking at the effect of the, the engine jets on the vortices. Well, here, actually, you can see the trace of the vortex here, from the, starting from the wingtip. But what you don't see in this picture is the jet coming from the engine. Well, in the second picture, actually, you can see them very clearly with the emissions here. This is a four-engine aircraft, and the jets are coming and interacting with the vortex. So we would like to understand, is this jet is useful, or is it really good, or bad? So if you look at the front view here, so this is the engine again. This is the tip vortex, but we also have sometimes a flap vortex. This is actually shown during the landing. So during the takeoff and landing, we activate the flaps, and the generation of the vortex is very similar to the generation of a tip vortex. So you might have multiple vortices, but in this picture, it looks like the, tip, the, the flap vortex is very strong, and that's what you are seeing in the picture. And so in this project, we wanted to really understand the interaction. As you can see that in this case, the flap vortex is very close to the engine jet. Well, we are doing laboratory simulations, visualizing the vortex flows and the jets with different colors. Again, you're better than me probably in this aspect. You can see the different colors. You can see the upstream, they are separate. But when you move to the downstream, that whole jet moves in that cross-flow plane you're looking at over these pictures and really wraps around the vortex and even penetrates into the core. So that really changes the structure of the vortex. So we did detailed velocity measurements. Here we're showing the magnitude of the velocity. With the blowing and with no, with the no blowing and with the blowing, you can see that very strong vortex rotational motion here. And with the blowing, that becomes much more diffuse and weaker vortex. So it looks like the jet's really actually useful to diffuse the vortex. Whereas it would be a very good idea to locate the jets very close to the, for example, flap vortex. We're also doing the simulation of the multiple vortices because if you look at the aircraft 
the wake, you can see there's multiple voices coming from the flaps, from the tips. First, they merge together. That merging process eventually becomes a large vortex here, but then in the far wake, we have a counter-rotating vortex pair. So we're looking at the interactions of the co-rotating vortices with a jet. We're also looking at the interactions of a counter-rotating vortices with a jet. Well, I'll move here, the second group, which are we call leading-edge vortices, and as I said, they might be beneficial. I'll talk about, in general, how they're beneficial. I'll also talk about the, an interesting phenomenon called vortex breakdown. I'll also talk about aspects on the vortex flows on maneuvering wings and flexible wings. Well, they're, as I said, they're close relatives. So they form, again, along the a tip, but the tip sometimes is different. Looking at the concord here, this is the, the tip in this case. So when we have a high incidence and higher sweep angle, then again the flow is separates and there's a pressure difference between the upper and lower surfaces and this is the really the trace of the vortex there. So there are two pictures there. Here, here are more pictures. Well, in these pictures here, vortex flows are actually not generating from the wing itself, but what they call a leading edge extension. The section here that you are seeing is like a highly swept wing, like just, just like a concord wing. And with the smoke generated very close to this point, you can see the vortex core. At some point, it blows up, and I'll talk about this interesting phenomenon later on. But again, you can see this vortex flows in these examples here. Very often, we study this very generic shape, which we call delta wing, essentially a triangle plate and we get this pair of vortices. If you look at the cross section, you can see the vertical flow to a pair of vortices here. And these vortices, as I said earlier, they have a low pressure itself in their core, but they induce low pressure in the wing surface. So that means that that extra negative pressure gives you extra lift. So by looking at, for example, lift curve as a function of angle of attack, we see that we get extra lift, so vortex is beneficial. So this is one of the good applications of the vortex flow. So far, I'll talk about all swirling flow, but there is also very strong axial flow in certain flows, especially for these leading edge vortices. Here in this diagram, I tried to sketch this. So you're seeing this rotational swirling motion here, but with these arrows, we are also showing an axial flow in the direction of the axis of the vortex axis. So there is a very strong axial motion. Well, several years ago, we measured the velocities in the cores. I was still in the states here, so you can look at the, this is the axial flow and this is the swirling flow component. This axial flow component might be up to three times the free stream velocity. Very, very strong axial flow. So this strong axial flow together, the strong rotation flow generates extra lift. So this is very good for Concorde and for other military aircraft. But these high swirling velocities are good, but until we get a, a break point. Uh, good things always end somewhere. So that is the point that we call the breakdown because the swirling flow comes to a stagnation. So this is a picture taken from 1960s. So you're seeing the vortex cores, and here you see a breakdown, which looks like a bubble. Here it looks like a spiral. But in each case, that strong axial flow comes to a kind of stagnation. So this is a picture taken from taken in our lab, one of my former students, Gordon Taylor. So the model is upside down, but you are seeing the vortex core and the breakdown here. An interesting thing here, if you measure the, the velocity in the core, in the downstream of this breakdown location, you get a velocity trace like this, which 
shows that there is a, a periodic activity in the core. So, well, this might be very important for the wing. That means that the wing might be exposed to the periodic buffeting. And also anything else downstream of this, like a, a fin, might be subject to buffeting. I'll talk about this in a moment, but first, let me show you how this looks in the, in the real life. Well, I made a loop of this, the movie, so you can see continuously, but you can see that sometimes it looks like a spiral, sometimes like a bubble right now, and then eventually it will turn to the spiral. So it is not really bubble or spiral always. It is just changing randomly from one form to another form. But the important thing is, again, this periodic traces in the, in the wake of it. So what happens? What is the consequence of it? Well, here is a, some flight tests from, from NASA from late 1980s. So again, this is a, a movie that I, I looped it so that you'll have plenty of time to look at it. Well, again, the vortex is originating from here. This is the breakdown, so it just ex explodes here. But look at the, the, the fin here. You'll see it again. Like at the beginning, you don't see much, but all of a sudden, it will start oscillating. Just pay attention to the fin here. Well, this was a major problem for the US Air Force. They had to replace these fins continuously until finding a simple solution. Well, simply, if the problem is really because of this flow, then you just simply try to change the trajectory of the vortex. So we've sh shown actually in a research supported by the US Air Force that this instability in the flow itself can really resonate with the structural vibrations. So this was a, a major problem. So talking about, again, vortex breakdown is overall a very sensitive phenomena. So you can look at the vortex flow. Again, model is upside down. But if you put in a downstream object, like we did here, then you can really induce the breakdown very easily. Also, if you look at the maneuvering wing, you can see one side that there is no breakdown. On the other side, you might have not only one, but you might have two breakdowns during a maneuver. And I'll show you examples a little bit later on. Well, why I'm interested in these things? Because, well, there are, again, future unmanned air vehicles. There are no pilots here. Since there are no pilots, perhaps there is a, we can really extend the maneuverability to a higher limits, but we can do maneuvers that we cannot do with a pilot. And they also have, looks like a delta wing shapes. They all have vertical flows. Since they are highly maneuverable, we also have highly flexible structures. So, so there are two aspects, maneuverability and flexibility, that I'll talk about some examples from our research. And also, since there are no pilots, really a software is flying the aircraft. So this is very, very important. So that means there are some certain flight control challenges. So here are some examples from the research. The first one is looking at the maneuvering wing. So this is an interesting shape. So if you look at the, the, the wing rotate, rolling from one side to another side, then you can see the vortex flow developing on one side. And then the other side is OK. But then this side takes the turn. You can see the breakdown going like this. But this more interesting one is actually when I oscillate this with a higher frequency. Here, sometimes you get this glimpse of double breakdown, that the flow breaks down here, and then reformation, the reformation takes place and breaks down again. So we really have to understand this kind of vortex flows to fly this kind of aircraft successfully. All right, as I said earlier, there are no pilots. So therefore, we have to be careful about uh, the flight, any flight instability. We started a new research supported by the US Air Force. And Nick, who joined our group 
We're recently doing research in this. So you're looking at a wing which is free to roll in the, in the wind tunnel. So you can see that there are self-excited oscillations that the wing will go into this kind of cycle. And we're trying to understand the mechanism, and of course this will be a potential problem for the unmanned air vehicles. The diagram on the left shows simply the, the time history of that roll angle. So moving to the last example, we can get the effect of inflexibility. So this picture is taken by Gordon Taylor. So we look at a flexible, a rigid delta wing. It looks like the flow is really stalled here by look, using the tuft on the surface. And here we have the flexible one. It looks very different. But the separated flow here becomes much more organized. There is, a, uh, there is an attachment here. Occasionally they freeze and they play again. Uh, so you can see that there is a reattachment and much more organized flow here. So at the end, compared to the stall flow, we really expect better aerodynamics for the flexible thing. So not surprisingly, Gordon found that if you look at the lift coefficients here, you can get higher lift for the flexible wing compared to, to the rigid one. And that happens in the post-stall regime, and that all happens because of the wing vibrations, because the, the flexible wing is, also, is vibrating. Well, since you're not putting any energy, no energy input into the system, so this is a kind of passive flow control that uses the unsteady mechanisms. All right, we did also try to understand this phenomenon better. So if you look at the oscillating rigid wings, which mimics the vibrations. So this picture taken by Eleni. And so look at this wing, looking at the cross flow. So this is a stalled flow. As soon as it starts oscillating, you're going to see a big difference. So the flow becomes attached at least near the center, near the symmetry plane. I can play it once more. You can see the difference when there is a stalled flow and partially attached flow. But more interesting picture, actually, by looking at the top picture, top view. So this is a stalled flow, and it's starts going to oscillate, and you have reformation of the vortices. All right, so here we come to the most fun part. As I said earlier, for insects and birds, it is essential. So if there are no vortex flows, the birds and insects will not fly. So it's so essential. So it's different than the traditional aerodynamics that we talk about. Here I'll talk about various types of vortices originating from the leading edge and the lift generation. I'll talk about thrust generation and effect of the wing flexibility. Remember that the birds and insects don't have any engine, so they have to generate their lift and thrust all by themselves, by oscillating the wings. So starting here, so we know that the insects, this is a slow motion, so insects really flap their wings in a very, very complicated manner. And again, as I said, this oscillations of the, the, the wing is so important this is the way that they generate the vortices. Again, if they remain stationary, no flapping, then they cannot generate the vortices that are useful for them. All right? And well, sometimes some, wing, some uh, insects have four wings because they're so essential for them for maneuverability. Of course, the birds, again, they use the flapping. So it's, again, very essential for them. So one of the things that I would like to discuss here, how these vortices form from the oscillating airfoils. Well, a two-dimensional analysis of course, this is a very complicated geometry, but if you look at just the cross-section here, essentially two types of the motion. One is called plunging. That means that the whole airfoil is moving up and down, up and down. This plunging or heave motion. The other one is pitching, where the, the airfoil is changing the angle of attack. 
as a function of time. So this alpha is changing. So these two types of motion really generates the vortices. Well, before I discuss these vortices more in detail, I have to explain why I'm interested in this. I'm just not changing my expertise to biology, but I'm just interested in the small things because we're interested in small microair vehicles. Well, they are typically less than, well, it's a size, they say they can fit into your hand. Some years ago, we were given a number, like a 15 centimeter, not larger than 15 centimeter in direction, but they can also be as small as a, a bee, so they can really, they can be very, very small. Well, there are three types of aircraft, but in all cases, essentially, that we're thinking about something that can fly. Well, in this case, for example, that looks like just looks like a model aeroplane, but they are more sophisticated. They can carry cameras, they can carry sensors. And again, initial thinking was that perhaps we'll fly them in the battleground in, for military applications so that we'll see what the enemy is doing. So they are spying, essentially. But later on, people came up with a number of applications. Perhaps we can monitor the the motorways, the traffic in the motorways, we can monitor our coastlines, we can monitor the forest. If there is a fire in a chemical plant, perhaps we can send them because we don't want to send the people there. Or if there's a nuclear reactor, then you can perhaps send the, this kind of vehicles into the nuclear reactor to see what's going on. So they can carry the information, they can have sensors, they can detect pollution, uh, chemicals. So this is the pretty much idea. So there are a number of civilian applications, perhaps more than the military applications. So some of them looks like a fixed wing aircraft, which lift is generated by the wings, propulsion is a propeller, so this is just, as I said, like a model airplane. But the part that I'm more interested is, these are the parts that are ins inspired by the insects and birds. So they're just like flying insects and birds by flapping the wings. So the lift as well as the thrust is generated by the oscillating the wings. There is a, a third category here, which is a mixture that you can lift, generate the lift with a fixed wing, but you can also generate a propulsion with oscillating the, again, small two, uh, pair of uh, wings there in the, in the back, near the trailing edge. So, but I'll talk about more in later on the detail. So the vortices from the insects and birds are very important. Well, it looks like we're not the only one looking at these insects and birds to get some idea from the nature. Well, Leonardo da Vinci was interested in building aircraft that look like the, uh, the insects and birds. Well, first of all, looking at this is sketches. This is really, I'll show you later on, the, the wings of a bat. It looks like, just like the same thing. And if you look at his diagrams, right here, you'll see the birds. So he, obviously he was paying attention to how the birds fly and trying to get conclusions uh, to apply in his flying machine there. But one problem that, I mean, he was interested in big machines that can fly the people. In our application, we're looking at very small vehicles. But today, we believe that there is really not much sense to build things to fly the people. It makes more sense aerodynamically than to build small vehicles, just like insects and birds. Well, Leonardo was also interested in all sorts of vortex flows. Actually, this diagram on the left is nothing to do with the birds, but he essentially drew the flow pattern, water coming out of this area here and forming some kind of swirling motion. So he was overall interested in the vortex flows. So coming back to the, our applications, microair vehicles here, we're operating in a different regime here. Well, in the vertical axis, we have the Reynolds number, which is a larger number if the aircraft is fast or large. 
If it's a slow or small, then the Reynolds number is small. So for small Reynolds numbers, it's like flying in a viscous fluid, just like flying in a honey. So the friction becomes very, very important. And here we showed in the horizontal axis the, the size of the, the aircraft. You can see that insects and birds are very close to micro-air vehicles. Above them, mini UAVs. The size might be on the order of not more than one meter. And again, above them and to the right of them, unmanned combat air vehicles. This might be the size of perhaps 10 feet in wingspan or a typical fighter aircraft. Of course, I'm not showing the conventional transport. A, a 380 will be somewhere here. So we're operating starting from 380 to here. So we're really looking at the, the small end of this spectrum here. And you can see that looking at the Reynolds number and the size, yes, insects and birds are very relevant to micro-air vehicles. So coming back to the discussion here, how do they form? Well, there are two possibilities here. One, if there's an attached flow, the vortices will, will be generated and shed from the trailing edge. Well, here is the only equation that I'm going to be using. Okay? No more than this. Well, I talked about vorticity earlier, which is a quantity that shows the, the strength of the, the rotation, the intensity of the rotation. But if you really integrate it, so look at the total vorticity in this area, then we get what we call circulation. So we have an aerodynamic law that says that each time that you change this angle of attack or the conditions, then the circulation changes. And we have a theorem called Kelvin's theorem that to satisfy that circulation has to be constant in the whole flow, then we have to shed a vortex. So this is the, the cartoon here that the things change here because of changing angle of attack or plunging, then we get a vortex. But there's a second class of flows. You have separated flows. That means the flow will separate from the leading edge. So you will have both leading edge and trailing edge forces. Actually, this is more common because at low Reynolds numbers that micro vehicles are operating, the separation takes place all the time. Here is an example. Here I'm looking at a cross-section. It looks like a funny cross-section. I'll explain this later on. But the flow is from right to left. And my student, Sam Heathcote, now Dr. Heathcote, took this picture. So once the wing starts oscillating up and down, you're going to see the vortices. Okay, that, well, they came from the leading edge, but they're also form from the trailing edge. So you can see the, a bunch of vortices are mixing up, starting originating from the leading edge and trailing edge. And Sam called this octopus. I'll show some more other examples later on, but moving again, the generation of the forces. So in, for the insects and birds, these vortices are essential. Again, without these vortices, they cannot generate lift or thrust. So type of motion that they employ is either pitching or plunging. And the phasing, the timing between these two motions is important. That depends on, again, the type of maneuver that they are doing. Sometimes they just need to hover. Sometimes they just need to do forward flight. And the transition between them is also, again, another variable. So all those things they can handle with different types of motion. In terms of the forces, so they don't have an engine. So they have to, trust, they have to generate this thrust by the, the vortex flows. So the studies show that if we shed the leading edge vortices, this is not really good. You can still generate thrust, but it's not very efficient. So in fact, we have found that there's maximum efficiency when there is no leading edge separation. So in that sense, 
we don't really like the leading edge separation, and this really actually applies to the fish. The fish really doesn't have this leading edge separation. So leading edge vortices, they only have trailing edge vortices, so they are really actually very, very efficient propulsion mechanisms for the fish. But for the insects, since they are flying a little bit lower Reynolds number, they always shed this leading edge vortices and that decreases the efficiency. And also another thing, the fish doesn't need a lift, but the insects and birds, they do need. So that means they do need to generate lift. And the leading edge vortices are really essential for the lift. Well, let me show you an example here. Well, this is actually a research that I've done some years ago. I was in the States. We were looking at the aerodynamics in an unsteady free stream. You can see that during some part of the cycle, there are two pictures, you can have very strong vertical flow over, developing over the, the wing. So we measured the lift forces here, and during that time, you can get very, very high lift coefficients, which actually we found that the, high, the lift coefficient can be larger than 10. So this is typically one to two for fixed wings not oscillating in the flow. So, but when you start doing this kind of unsteady aerodynamics, you might end up with very, very high lift coefficients. So obviously, insects are using these high lift coefficients to generate the lift, and that's what they need, essentially, especially during the hovering. During the hovering, that's what they need to uh, generate very, very high lift coefficients. All right, moving to thrust generation. As I said earlier, the most efficient way is really if you don't have the leading edge separation, but only the words are shed from the trailing edge. So some of these ex experiments actually taken, took place in, uh, earlier by Johnson Platzer. You can see that the schematic of the, the airfoil, and this is the, the flow visualization. We see that the, there is a two rows of vortices, and they're arranged in such a way, because of this plunging motion, that depends, of course, the frequency or amplitude, that you get a, a jet-like flow because of the momentum of these vortices. So this is so essential to generate these vortices. If you don't generate these vortices, then you're not going to get thrust. One interesting extension here that Sam looked at a little bit more in detail, if you don't have any free stream, just like a hovering, you can still generate thrust. So here is the, the flow visualization. So in this case, we're using the smoke. Again, the airflow is going up and down, and we generate thrust by doing this. Well, you can say that, well, this is quite interesting aerodynamically, but I'm sure you, all of you did this experiment. In a hot day, in the summer, you need to cool yourself. Yeah? What you do is very similar to this. Each time that you do that, you're generating vortices that they generate the thrust, essentially. So it looks like you've already done this experiment. All right, so this is the last topic that I'm going to be talking about. If you look at the nature here, and this is a topic that got a lot of attention from the media this morning, I'll talk about it later on. But if you look at the nature, the wings are not really rigid. So if you look at the, the bed, well, there's a kind of membrane type of wing here. More interestingly, if you look at the insect wings, they have a certain structural variations that starting from the leading edge up to this dash line, they, they are very rigid. But from the dashed line toward the trailing edge, they are very flexible, so it can bend. So we decided to look at this. And so Sam built a model that near the leading edge, very rigid, but then the rest is a flat plate, and then we subjected this a plunging motion. So this is what you are getting. Okay? So this is the, his experimental setup.
again, it's not much different than what you are doing trying to cool yourself in the summer. But, but Sam found that there is, trust is maximum for optimum flexibility. So if you have some flexibility, then you generate more trust, more efficiently. But then if it's too flexible, it's like a, using a piece of paper, then flexibility is not, is not going to be good. Well, Sam got uh, the best paper award for this uh, study in, the, in America in an co international conference. And he also became so famous. This morning he was talking in the Radio 4, Radio 5, BBC World Services. And he told me that he made seven interviews with different stations. And meanwhile, I did talk to BBC Radio Wales this morning. So we were very busy. <laughs> so talking about the effect of the flexibility. So here's what happens if you have a flexible wing looking at the flow pattern here. And if it's very flexible, well, you can just think about that again, going back to this experiment. Instead of a rigid one, it's something too flexible will not be good. So there is an optimum value here, and insects seem to know it and seems to be applying it. Well, again, Sam looked at this more in detail and showed that comparing the rigid, flexible, and very flexible wings here, the flexible one is really the one that generates the strongest vortices. So you can see the relation to the vortex flow here again. Well, finally, interpretation here, why the this flexibility is so good, so beneficial? Well. Compared to rigid one, when the wing is flexing, you're actually generating effective pitch. So there is then you have two types of motion. One is plunging motion, the other one is the pitching motion. And then there is a between, between the two motions, there's a certain phase angle. And it looks like it's a very favorable phase angle. So by looking at the studies of the rigid airfoils, we were able to see the analogy that actually what you are doing here, you're generating a second degree of freedom with a a proper phase angle between the two motions. That's the, that's the mechanism. Well, that brings me to conclusions here. Tonight, I talk about the vortex flow in the outer space. <clears throat> I talk about some of the vortex flows closer to us, hurricanes, tornadoes. I talk about the aircraft vortices that are usually bad, either increase the drag or cause vortex vague problems. I talk about the leading edge vortices. They are usually beneficial as long as we make sure that it doesn't break down, so as long as we treat them properly. I talk about the birds and insects where the, the horses are very essential part of the flight. So to my conclusions here, vortex flows are everywhere. Well, of course, special thanks to my former study students. Without their help, I wouldn't be able to show all those pictures tonight to you. And of course, thanks to my, my, my wife and my daughter for their support. So I hope it was not too boring. <laughs> <laughs>